A second surplus is within striking distance. That's according to the Federal Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, as he gave his mid-year budget update. Better than expected tax revenues, partly from commodity prices and corporate profits, have slashed the budget deficit to just over $1 billion, an improvement of $12 billion. But inflation is expected to be higher than predicted this financial year, and real wages are now expected to grow only marginally. Our GDP growth is forecast to moderate in the near term, and unemployment is expected to tick up. These are the inevitable consequences of higher interest rates. Uh, moderating but high inflation and global economic uncertainty. Uh, inflation is moderating, but it's still too high. Well, joining me now are two of my favourite economists. Judith Sloan is a former commissioner of the Productivity Commission and a contributing finance editor for The Australian. Also joining her is Richard Dennis, the executive director of the Australia Institute. Welcome to you both. Good afternoon. Thank you very much, Andy. Don't tell any other economists that you're my favourite. Uh, <laughs> let's start with I don't you. I think we're anyone's favourites, by the oh, way. Come on. It's a, it's come a on short now. list. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start with you, Judith. The Treasurer couldn't help himself referring to the coalition's back in black mugs, those in, now infamous mugs. Uh, but how confident are you that a second surplus for Labor is, as the Treasurer says, within striking distance? Well, it's definitely within striking distance, and I think you're probably prepared to put a bit of money, uh, a bit like the Melbourne Cup, on uh, the prospect of it actually being quite significantly in surplus. <laughs> so what we've seen in, well, it's, a, it's I guess about six months, um, you've had um, taxation revenue surging. Interestingly enough, both company tax and individual tax uh, they've been about 50-50 through their, uh, the, the delta above what was expected. And so, um, you know, if we track it to, to the end of the financial year, it looks like quite a significant surplus. But I think uh, it, uh, it – I don't know whether I've been printing the mugs, but I think it does look as though it's going to be in the black again. Richard, uh, my EFO shows an extra $64.4 billion, uh, $64 billion flowing to government coffers in the next four years. Uh, how much of that is higher commodity prices? Because that was obviously also the unexpected um, boost from the, the budget back in uh, what May. Oh, look, absolutely. Some of it's higher commodity prices, although I'd note the petroleum resource rent tax is expected to collect less tax in the next couple of years, not more. Uh, so we really need to fix that one at some point. But look, it's it's higher prices. They're, they're great for the budget. Uh, you collect more GST when things are more expensive in the shops. You collect more from personal income tax because, uh, you know, you've got people getting 4 or 5% pay rises. They're going backwards after inflation, but they're going into higher tax rates. So, uh, no, inflation is very good for the budget, but inflation is very bad for uh, people's costs of living and their and their family budgets. So, uh, I think the opening you know comment really hits the nail on the head. And unfortunately for the government, way back before there was COVID, way back before there was global supply shortages, they uh, both the previous government and this government before COVID uh, were supporting uh, this very expensive stage three tax cuts 
And the political problem and the economic problem is that that's not going to do anything to help low-income earners, particularly those on, you know, $45,000, $60,000, but uh, it's going to give $9,000 a year to the high-income earners. So we do need to help low-income earners. I think there's no doubt about that. Uh, But the, 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 the compensation that's heading our way is going to flow to those that are least affected by the cost of living crisis, not the most affected. Uh, Judith, as Richard says, you know, inflation is good for the budget, which sends a, a bit of a shiver down into my spine, however small part of this economy I am. Uh, but, I mean, Jim Chalmers is adamant that Treasury's forecast for inflation have not changed. But is that really the case? Have, have the goalposts changed at all here? Um, well, you know, Treasury a little bit more optimistic than the Reserve Bank. But, you know, I don't know whether you wrote the introduction, but you actually completely hit the nail on the head because, you know, the budget position it was good uh, last financial year, it'll be good this financial year. But if you look at the national accounts, household disposable income, which is kind of probably our best measure of living standards, has been declining. And what people are being hit with are like mortgage payments. So they went up by 8% in a quarter, the September quarter. And tax payments, they went up by 8%. You, you, you may not have followed this, but we had something called the Lamington, which was the low and medium income tax offset, uh, which had existed in the tax schedule for a few years. That was actually uh, ditched, I think quite rightly, um, by this government. But that actually has had quite an impact on the tax take, favourable for the government, not favourable for the taxpayer. So <clears throat> I think it's a dilemma for the government because... Um, Falling living standards, and Richard, I think, is right to point out we've got to kind of worry about the distributional impact of that. So, you know, those at the low end are probably being, well, they are being hit worse than those who are more comfortably off. Um, Whereas, you know, there's Jim, the king in the county house, counting out the money. (laughs) For my money, uh, Richard, it's sometimes difficult, um, and I'm sure a lot of people listening feel the same way, to know what overseas factors or domestic factors are contributing to stubbornly high inflation. Uh, can you just talk to that point for a second? Because I think it's good to get some clarity here. Yeah, oh, look, there's, there's no short answer, but there's no doubt that cost of a lot of materials that Australia is importing have risen quite rapidly after COVID. So building materials are an important case in point. So, uh, and, and then oil prices shot up during uh, the, uh, after Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. And while petrol's got a little bit cheaper this week, uh, you know, there's no doubt that's that's been quite a contributor in recent times. So, you know, building materials and, uh, and uh, oil prices go into a lot of prices. So, there's no doubt we imported a lot of our inflation, but there's also no doubt that, you know, companies like Qantas just went, Hooray! Everybody wants to travel again. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna double our prices. We're gonna triple our prices. You should see what it costs to fly from Canberra to Sydney. Sometimes you used to be able to fly to London for that. Yeah. So uh, so it's there's there's all sorts of things, domestic and international, but uh, certainly uh, and they're linked. You know, you've you've got firms that have seen some of their costs go up but they've taken the opportunity to increase their price by even more. But, look, again, big picture, Judith and I, just uh, having a 
in a greeathon here. The, oh, what uh, again? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> so the economics that unites more people than you might think. <laughs> that you know the, the way the budget is structured, inflation's good for revenue. Uh, so revenue automatically goes up, and when it comes to spending, well, it's kind of up to government to make a discretionary decision to to spend more on a lot of things. So yeah, the the, the GST is rocketing along. Um, personal income tax is rocketing along. High profits means company income tax is rocketing along. And the political problem you got, you got, you know, rightly, Jim Chalmers should be pretty happy with these numbers. Uh, you know, I think budget surpluses are a bit overblown, but they certainly have political significance in Australia. He'll be really happy with that surplus number, but the voters are going to be more grumpy about their cost of living I suspect, than they are going to be really proud of Jim's surplus. It's a quarter past five. Judith Sloan is the former commissioner of the Productivity Commission and contributing finance editor for The Australian. Uh, Richard Dennis is the executive director for the uh, Australia Institute. We're talking about the federal government's mid-year budget update. I mean, Judith, the issue of stage three tax cuts, again, was ruled out by the Treasurer today. There was a little bit of... Um, unattributed speculation in your uh, broadsheet in the last few weeks about uh, perhaps backbenchers getting a bit of heat from um, their constituents over over this issue and whether or not uh, it still has uh, Labor still has a move to make here. Do, do do you really think voters will be annoyed if Labor Labor breaks an election promise to to, to keep them? Well, I mean, I think there's a political discussion that can be had as well as an economic. And the first point to make is that the stage three tax cuts are there in the budget figures, right? So the budget figures contain what's called the forward estimates. So that's over a four-year period. And in fact, the budget papers now contain 10-year uh, figures, which are less reliable, obviously. But so it's it, it, it's sitting there with... It's, it, it's allowed for, if you know what I mean. So... Um, Look, I, uh, my political hunch is that they will be very scared to walk away from it, but there is something that they could possibly do, which is to sort of tweak them and to take up Richard's challenge, which is that this stage three, as opposed to stage one and two, which were probably more tilted to uh, low-income earners, there could be some additional change that will help low-income earners. And so that won't be called stage three, that will be called something else. But I hear what you say. I think the backbench are worried. And if I go back to um, look at the national accounts, which is sort of the, the overall economy, um, you, do, uh, you are seeing that um, pressure on households and that obviously has political implications. I mean, we heard Jim Chalmers say today that wages growth has picked up to its fastest annual rate since 2009, which um, sounds good, but whether or not the electorate's actually feeling that is a question over whether it's time to pop the uh, low-priced Aldi champagne. I mean, what about... Not bad, by the way, Andy. Not, not a bad, bad drop, and you heard it from <laughs> Judith Sloan. Uh, <laughs> I, I do wonder about real wage growth, I mean, and, and when people will feel it. I mean, that is the, the real, I mean, apart from specific industries and unionised EBAs that have been renegotiated and so on, when, Richard, will we feel real wage growth? 
Well, not for some time because uh, let's be clear, real wages have gone backwards. People, after you adjust for inflation, after you adjust, adjust for the spending power, uh, real wages are lower now than they were a few years ago. This is a, a very unusual thing in a rich country to see real wages go backwards. And, you know, we can, we can forecast, you know, slightly more uh, optimistic growth. That's nice. But we're still not going to be back to where we were a few years ago, and 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 that has very significant political consequences. Because and this is slightly technical, but the way our tax system set up, our our tax rates, our marginal tax rates are defined in terms of our take home pay. You know what it says on the pay packet. So our pay packets, if they're going up by five percent. From a tax point of view, you've got people going into higher tax brackets. That's, that's fiscal drag. That's bracket creep. But at the same time that they're going into a higher tax bracket and paying more tax, their purchasing power, their real wage is going backwards. And as, as Judith said, stick on top of that. We got rid of the Lamington. We got rid of the Lamito. So for someone who was earning $45,000 a few years ago, um, you know, they're over $1,000 worse off today because they're actually in a higher tax bracket, they're paying more tax, uh, they've lost the Lamito and the spending power of their salary significantly declined. So I think the politics of stage three are far more brutal than people realise and you bet Labor will get criticised for breaking a promise, but two quick things. One, if they'd promised to spend a couple of hundred billion dollars on welfare, in the next couple of years, everyone will be screaming at them to rein it back in, saying now's not the time to do it. So, you know, everyone's saying, oh, you have to keep a promise about tax cuts, but they would be under enormous pressure if some, if they'd promised to be more generous to poor people. And then the other key point is let's look at the brutal politics of this. The day after the Stage 3 tax comes, cuts come in next year on July 1, the day that high-income earners get 9000 bucks, and the day that people earning 44000 get zero, the opposition leader is going to pounce and say, you've done nothing to help poor people. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. they're going to get criticised for breaking the promise, but you watch the, you watch the tabloids and you watch the opposition leader attacking them for doing exactly what they said they'd do. It's going to be brutal. Well, my, well, except it is, you know, you would hope not because they are their stage three tax cuts. But but here's a dilemma, Andy. Depending on where, you know, we've kind of got this glide path down with inflation. You know, that is going to be a consideration about whether the stage three tax cuts will be inflationary and therefore work against what the Reserve Bank is trying to achieve. And if that's the case, then that could just lead to higher mortgage rates, which, you know, people don't like either. So it's a it's a really difficult balancing act, I think. And, I mean, let's be clear here. These anti-inflationary measures, the increase in the cash rate leading to higher mortgage rates and the like, they are designed to slow the economy. They are designed to hit people. Um, you know, and it, it, it's 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 pretty harsh medicine. Uh, the argument being that ongoing high rates of uh, inflation are sort of worse um, than these measures that hopefully can can beat out inflation out of the system relatively quickly. But 
you know, it, it, it's sort of the bad news and the worst news, if you know what I mean. It's not, not really, uh, it's, it's not a lot of upside to it. Yeah, and as always, a tightrope between, you know, good economic policy and uh, good, um, pol- you know, politics as well. Uh, well, and social policy, social of course, outcomes, I of course. think, yeah. Uh, it's been great to have you back, both of you together on the radio. Judith Sloan, a former commissioner of the Productivity Commissioner and a contributing finance editor for The Australian. Richard Dennis is the executive director for The Australia Institute. Merry Christmas to both of you. Have a wonderful uh, holiday Thank break. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Judith.